Many of you will remember a, a few years ago, during the peak of the, the COVID pandemic, when our nursing and assisted living facilities weren't allowing visitation, and some of you were forced to, to stand outside a window and wave at your loved ones. I remember visiting someone from our congregation who was in sort of the end of life stages and having to argue my way in. And once I convinced them that pastoral care at end of life was quote unquote essential, I was escorted to the room to make sure I didn't stop and talk to anyone else on the way there. And, and some of you went months without seeing your loved ones. And our experience of isolation here in this part of the country was actually pretty minimal compared to many around the nation and around the world. But it's clear that one of the most tragic parts of that time in our history was the isolation, the mental health toll that it took on countless people. In our scripture text for this morning, we encounter some people who, who knew a thing or two about isolation, about quarantine. Jesus comes across ten men who have leprosy. And when they see Jesus, they cry out to him and ask him to have pity on them. Leprosy is a bacterial infection. It spreads much like the common cold through water droplets from the nose or the mouth. But rather than being a respiratory infection, leprosy affects the skin, the muscles, the nerves. It's most commonly known for the skin lesions and the ulcers that form because of it, and it causes victims to lose feeling in their extremities. Leprosy really isn't deadly in and of itself, but it leads to all sorts of other infections and other medical issues that are fatal. Today, around the world, leprosy is quite treatable. It's curable. However, in Jesus' day, they obviously didn't have the necessary medication, and so barring some miraculous healing, most lepers would quite likely have the disease until they die. But the worst part of leprosy wasn't actually the disease itself, but the social consequences of the disease. In order to prevent its spread, people with leprosy were forced to live in isolation, often in colonies with other lepers, and they were legally required to stay away from anybody who didn't have the disease. They would become permanent outcasts from society. They were permanently banned from their families. They were walking down the road and were coming to pass people who didn't have the disease. They were forced to call out and announce that they were unclean, that they were lepers. They had no close interaction with anybody who didn't share the disease. And so in our text for today, Jesus will encounter 10 men who know isolation. They've been living their lives cut off from any contact with human beings other than those with the same disease. And so the healing that Jesus will give in our text today is not just having their health restored, but it's really giving them a second chance at life. They don't just get their health, they get their family back. They get their life back. From the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 17, and I'll be reading verses 11 through 19. This is God's word to us. 
Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked him, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. God, your word is true. We give you thanks for your word to us this morning and We know that in your word we find hope and healing and life. And so we ask that you would do your good work in our hearts through your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we consider this passage from Luke's gospel, we'll discover a reminder, a call, and a gift. A reminder, a call, and a gift. So first, let's look at the reminder. And in our text, we find... A reminder of Jesus' purpose. The text begins in verse 11 with these words that we might have just read over pretty quickly. The words are this, Now on his way to Jerusalem. These might seem like simple words of geographic orientation, telling us the direction in which Jesus is traveling. But to read them that way would be to miss something significant regarding Jesus' purpose. Earlier in Luke, in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, Luke records for us that Jesus, quote, set his face toward Jerusalem. And so Jesus is, we might say, laser focused on the city of Jerusalem because, of course, this is the reason that he has come, to go to Jerusalem, to pay for the sins of the world, to save mankind, to bring life and hope and salvation and purpose for all who believe. This is an important recognition. It can be easy to get bogged down in the details of a passage of scripture and forget the fact that Jesus hasn't come just for these random encounters like we have in our text today. Jesus didn't take on flesh and dwell among us so that we would have a few good stories to read and that we would have a role model for life. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Everything that we read in the Gospels are to be read with this understanding that Jesus, in all that we read, is on his way to Jerusalem, that he has set his face toward Jerusalem, or we might say Jesus is on his way to the cross. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul sort of summarizes the reason for Jesus' life, for the incarnation, for the Christmas season that lies ahead of us. He says this, he says, Jesus came into the world, why? To save sinners. Jesus came into the world to go to Jerusalem, to go to the cross, 
to shed his blood for sinners, for lepers, for you, and for me. And so Luke's reminder for us with this simple phrase that we would just normally read past, the simple phrase, now on his way to Jerusalem, Luke reminds us that this is not just geographic orientation. This is theological orientation. That we might know how to read and how to understand everything that follows. You see, apart from Jerusalem, Jesus is just another good teacher. Apart from the cross, Jesus' teaching might be helpful. It might make us a better person. It might contain some measure of wisdom and good advice for our lives. But Jesus' life and teaching has no ultimate value, no transcendent meaning apart from Jerusalem, apart from the cross. Jesus didn't come to make you a better person. Jesus didn't come to to give you your best life now. Jesus didn't come to give you wisdom for today, to give you some nuggets to get you through a difficult week. He didn't come ultimately and primarily even to, to bring healing or to help you sleep at night, to fix your marriage, to give purpose to your life. Jesus came to go to Jerusalem, to go to the cross, to pay for your sin, to reconcile you to God, to give you true and eternal life. The cross is the prime motivation, the ultimate reason, the grand purpose for all of what Jesus does. He was focused on Jerusalem so that he might die and be raised to new life, conquering sin, death, and Satan. We need this continual theological reorientation. You see, we are all prone to make this about us. We do that with everything in life. We make it about us. Even when it comes to spiritual things, even when it comes to the scriptures, we read the Bible as if they are about us. We need this theological reorientation to know that Jesus came for the cross, for Jerusalem. In our text today, we're reminded of Jesus' purpose. Second, we find this. We find a call, and specifically a call to thankfulness. There's a reason that this passage is selected for Thanksgiving week. There is at the center of this text, a call for us to live thankful lives. I think we would all recognize that thankfulness, true heartfelt thankfulness, doesn't come naturally to most of us. It's something that has to be cultivated. It has to be intentional. You see this with children, right? We have to teach them to be grateful. We have to teach them. We have to cultivate within them a spirit of thankfulness and appreciation. It has to be intentional. It has to be practiced. For example, how many of you, when you turned on the water in the sink this morning, paused to give thanks to God for the incredible miracle that there was water there when you turned it on? Probably not most of us. How many of you were thankful and paused and gave thanks to God that you didn't have to 
trudge across the yard to the outhouse this morning? How many of us paused to praise God when our car started today? It's been said that perhaps the most frequent sin is the failure to give thanks for the many gifts that we receive every day, every minute, every second from our Heavenly Father. The very idea, the very reality that I, that I woke up this morning is a miracle. Think about all the things that were required for you to wake up this morning, for you to live another day. Your heart had to pump. Your lungs had to fill with oxygen. Those blood cells had to carry that oxygen throughout your body. They have to get rid of the carbon dioxide and other things that need to get out of your body. Our brain has to have the right electrical impulses received in just the right way and and messages sent through nerves to allow us to control our muscles. But then there's all the other things that happen just subconsciously, like the fact that Your body knows how to breathe without you telling it. Of course, we could be here all day making note of the many miracles that are required just for you to live another day. But then we we can look outside of ourselves and consider the miracle that when you walked out of your house this morning, the air that you breathed had just the perfect mix of oxygen and other nutrients to sustain life. And yet at the same time, it also sustains Plant life, which has a completely different set of requirements and needs. How often do we stop to give thanks to God for the thousands upon thousands of gifts and provisions and miracles that fit together every day to sustain our existence? And then there are so many individual circumstances and situations that we may perceive as random. Things that God weaves together to accomplish his good purposes. Things that we might tend to just chalk up to blind luck or coincidence or chance are really the provision of God. Simple forks in the road and even those drastic reorientation of our plans that we stumble into but that God has ordained for our ultimate good and for his glory. The joyful moments combined together mixed together with seasons of suffering, forming this beautiful mosaic of God's provision and leading. In our text today, ten lepers have been healed of their disease. But only one of those ten returns to give thanks to the healer, to give praise to God for the gift he had received. And and the question that Jesus asks is really a call to repentance for all of us. In verse 17, Jesus says, where are the other nine? Only one seems to be truly thankful, or at the very least, only one is thankful enough to do something about it. You may have noticed that Jesus mentions something particularly interesting about this one healed man who returns. What was unique about him? He was a Samaritan. Now, you may know a thing or two about the Samaritans. Maybe you've learned in Sunday school over the years about the tension between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. They were closely related to one another. The Samaritans claimed that their heritage could be traced back to Ephraim and Manasseh, the sons of Joseph. But they'd rejected the legitimacy of the temple in Jerusalem. They believed that Yahweh should be worshipped in Shechem rather than Jerusalem, and they had a number of other significant disagreements with their Jewish neighbors, and so there was 
mutual hostility in both directions. We get a little bit of a taste of that in John chapter 8. Jesus is visiting with some Jews in John chapter 8, and they decide they're going to insult Jesus, and so they use their two favorite insults. They say that Jesus is a demon-possessed Samaritan. We see how Jesus responds in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, he tells a story about a Samaritan. Most of us are familiar, at least to some degree, with the story. Three men come across a man lying on a road, having been beaten, robbed, and left for dead. The two Jewish men in the story pass by and ignore the man. But the Samaritan, who happens to be walking down the road that day, stops and helps and provides for the man's needs, makes sure that he's taken care of. Jesus turns the Samaritan into the hero of the story. And then we have our situation in today's text. Ten men with leprosy, all healed, but only the Samaritan comes back to worship God and to give thanks. The nine others, likely Jewish men, take the blessing and run. They go back to their lives, they go celebrate, they they just take for granted this healing that they've received, but the, the outcast, the untouchable, the foreigner, the despised, he comes back and he throws himself at Jesus' feet and he worships. And so there is this call built within this encounter that Jesus has for us to be thankful, for us to return to the giver of all good gifts and to give him praise for all that he has given. It's good and it's right and it's necessary for us to confess our unthankfulness or maybe just our blindness to how much of our lives and our existence are pure gift coming to us by no merit or deserving of our own and it's good and it's right and it's important to give thanks to God to be thankful daily for his provision and his protection how do I respond to the goodness to the blessing to the healing to the protection to the provision of God in my life Our text gives us the response, and it's simply to return and give praise. To come back to Jesus, to worship him. There's one more layer to all of this that's important, and so next we see a gift. And specifically in our text today, it's a gift more profound than physical healing. While Jesus did really heal ten men with leprosy on the road that day, there there was something bigger, something more significant, something deeper, something more profound that was going on at the same time. You see, throughout the Bible, leprosy is a picture for something. Leprosy is symbolic for our sin. Much like sin, it's a disease that wrecks our lives, it ruins our relationships, it isolates us. From others, it's a death sentence. And we see this, for example, all the way back in the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 5 with the story of a man named Naaman. Naaman is a man, he's a military commander, and he has leprosy. And God uses his disease as a picture for our sin. In Naaman's situation, God used a servant girl 
to point Naaman to healing from his disease by washing himself seven times in the Jordan River. That early baptismal picture of God's cleansing and God's healing pointed us to, or or continues to point us to, the deeper meaning of leprosy that we see in other stories throughout the scriptures. Jesus is using these ten men on this day to point us to deeper and more profound realities, namely that we are all infected with leprosy, that we all carry the disease of sin. And that Jesus has come to rescue us, to heal us from that disease. Notice what Jesus says in verse 19. He says, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now you might not think that that verse is all that profound. But what's interesting is that the word that's translated in our text as made well, or in other translations it might say made whole, your faith has made you whole, is actually the, uh, the Greek word, here's your Greek lesson for the day, the Greek word sozo. This word is often translated as saved. For example, in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Same word. So we could rightly translate this verse as Rise and go, your faith has saved you. This encounter between Jesus and these men with leprosy is not just about physical healing. It's not just about the disease of leprosy. It's not just about thankfulness. And it's not just about the controversy between Jews and Samaritans. This encounter is about sin and salvation. It's about life and hope and purpose. In Jesus, there is hope for the leper. There's hope for the outcast. And there is hope for the sinner. And so how do we respond to Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, giving us this real-life example of forgiveness and salvation and New life for sinners. How do we respond when we realize that we are the lepers who are in need of forgiveness and healing and being saved? We respond just like the Samaritan. We return. And we give praise to Jesus. We offer up our hearts and our lives in praise to him. We get to worship Jesus. It's one of the most beautiful and profound parts of this story that that Jesus doesn't say, hey, all those other nine guys, they're going to get their leprosy back right away. Jesus doesn't seem to be concerned with that. Jesus looks at the grateful Samaritan who fell at his feet in worship and he says, your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. When we, by faith, come to see that Jesus has offered us healing, has forgiven us, has saved us, we get to return to him and praise him. We get to throw ourselves at Jesus' feet and thank him. We are invited to live a life of gratitude to God. That life of gratitude, of returning to give praise, is actually a gift to us. Recognizing the provision of sins 
recognizing that Jesus offers eternal life. It's a gift to us. And we are invited to return and to give praise to Jesus. When we live a life of gratitude to God, we discover that we aren't just healed in a physical sense, but that we have true life. That we aren't just given a, a new lease on an old life, but, but given an entirely new life. Return and give praise. That's exactly what worshiping with God's people is. It's gathering each week to give praise, to allow Jesus to reorient us, to throw ourselves at his feet again. And when we do, when we, in repentance and faith, come to Jesus, we always, every week, hear those words, Rise and go. Your faith has saved you. This is the Christian life. Return and give praise. Throw yourself at the feet of Jesus. Rise and go in faith, in gratitude. Because we have everything in Jesus. Let's pray. God, we confess that we so often just receive the blessings that you pour out upon us without any even recognition or realization of, of what we've been given. And we confess that apart from, your, apart from your healing, your cleansing, we are lost in our sin. We are dead in our sins. We are cut off. We are just awaiting death. But we thank you for entering in, for taking on flesh, for becoming Emmanuel, God with us, for taking our sin upon yourself, for giving us forgiveness and new life. And so, Lord, we come back to you today and we place ourselves at your feet. We return and we give you praise for all that you've done. And we ask that you would work true gratitude, true thankfulness within our hearts today. Not just verbal or intellectual gratitude, but gratitude that changes us, that makes us new, that alters the paths of our lives. Lord, we confess that all that we have is yours. You are the one from whom all blessings flow. And so we give you thanks and praise today that you have provided for our sin and our salvation and that you have given us each and every blessing. And so we pray that you would foster and grow true gratitude in our hearts. We praise you, Lord, for all that you are, for all that you have done. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.